where it comes to sleep, athletic activity, and, and just how they all fit together. This whole thing is, is one puzzle, not a bunch of different categories, right? But I think like all of us, we just need to take the, the recovery side more serious than just like, oh, okay, I'm just gonna sit on the couch and watch TV for an hour, or I'm just gonna unplug or whatever. Like really thinking about that kind of stuff, whether it comes down to reading, whether it comes to actually recovering, getting outside for a walk or whatever, like, we miss that part because we're just hustling so hard all the time. And it's really hard. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Aaron Lutzi. If you missed part one, please go back and and, uh, listen to part one, hear about both his career background as a pro mountain biker and uh, and his career, at least last dozen years, as an athlete marketing manager at Red Bull. Aaron, I think the the next story I want to talk about is... Somebody I'm slightly obsessed with uh, is uh, Travis Rice. You know, like I've got his board and his boots. Actually, I've got multiple of his boards. My nine-year-old dressed up as him for Chris, for Halloween. <laughs> okay, that's amazing. Like, we're serious Travis Rice fans, right? At our house, and you know, I think it speaks again a credit to you guys when he goes on his when he goes on his platforms and talks about I wanted to invent supernatural or ultra natural and i wanted to invent the contest that that nobody else would do and red bull backed me like he didn't have to say that and you can tell it wasn't scripted like he was not reading from a teleprompter and so that's a credit to you guys that he has those type of feelings about you (laughs) i mean we've had a really great relationship with him and, and travis is just such a wonderful person in general and i think it makes it easy to to follow through on on the vision you know he's worked really hard and and can't take anything away from the effort that he's put into making his dreams become a reality. He's had a vision for a very long time and patiently built it brick by brick to get it to this point. I mean, he became Travis Rice in the same way of like building this whole thing brick by brick. You know, the the films that he put out were his vision and he found the right people to get on board with his vision. And then he put the whole thing through and worked meticulously with that team to to bring it together and share it with the world. And and then he did all the work after it came out too. I mean, what you don't see is all this stuff that also is happening. So, you know, you spend three years making this film and then you go on tour for two months straight in a different hotel and a different city every day, talking to people about snowboarding and answering the same exact questions every single day, tirelessly for two months to, to share it with everyone, you know? There's so much work that goes on even after the work is done, you know? Yeah. I finished a film um, called Blood Road with this athlete, Rebecca Rush. She's a endurance mountain biker. And she rode the Ho Chi Minh Trail in Vietnam. Her dad was actually shot down during the war. And so she rode her bike to the location and then continued on and, and rode the entire, I want to say it's like 2,000 kilometers. Oh, or something. Wow. Anyway, it was a long, it was like a 30-day bike ride, basically, to get from point A to point B. They had to ride and paddle through caves and all this crazy stuff. And the film is definitely worth uh, watching. But I remember seeing her at the end of the whole thing, and everybody just came out just absolutely destroyed. They'd been, you know, riding their bike and the dirt and dust and all that stuff. And and uh, I gave her a big hug, of course, after she crossed the the final mark of the trail. And I said, 
now the work begins, you know, like you thought riding, you know, 2000 kilometers was the hard part, but this is the easy part. This is the part, you know, you know how to ride your bike really far and really fast and strong and, and all this stuff. But like now we're going to put this thing out in the world. You're going to have to tell this story about losing your dad, about riding this really challenging thing about all the obstacles you overcame in the last 30 days. You're going to have to really dig into that and share that with the world. And you're going to have to travel. You're going to have to do interviews. You're going to have to do all these hard things that you're not accustomed to. Like you can ride a thousand miles, no problem. But to do all these other things are out of, you know, they're not what you normally do. And I don't think she necessarily caught it right away, but you know, a couple years later after the film had <laughs> gone out, it ended up winning an Emmy and all this great stuff. It was a huge success for her and, and a huge impact on her career overall. But at the end, she kind of came back around and was like, wow, okay. Yep. You were right. <laughs> that was, that was the hard part was after I did what I thought was the hardest part. And Travis went through that, that same thing as well. And I think, we all do, right? Like you finish a big project and then the real work begins. And uh, the part that's maybe not as familiar is what has to come in next. Well, okay. Just quickly, because I know you're really into stoicism. Uh, another guy who was shot down in Vietnam War. Have you read any of the James Stockdale books? Like Thoughts of a Philosophical Pi Fighter Pilot? I've not. I feel oh. like he's been referenced. He's been referenced in another book, I think. It sounds familiar, though. You're, you're going to love it. You got to call me once you finish it, okay? So... He had been he had been at Stanford studying Stoicism, like as part of his uh, military career, and then deployed to Vietnam and then gets shot down. And he was the most senior officer in the prison camps. And it just goes through him being tortured through all the crazy stuff and how he applied what he learned in Stoicism, you know, in just the roughest of circumstances, you know, and. I mean, there's so many parallels to the point of like, including having his leg injured, like Epictetus, including like, anyways, it's exceptional, like really exceptional. So we, let's have a call after you finish that book. Okay. We'll get, <laughs> we'll get chat on the call. We'll do it all together. You know, I, we should back up for one second because I realized on our last episode, we're throwing in all these action sports names that, that maybe not everybody knows. But the way I describe Travis Rice is like, if you're not a snowboarder, you probably heard Sean White was the best snowboarder. <laughs> if you are a snowboarder, you know it's Travis Rice, okay? <laughs> but but my my thought is, can you explain just what a big deal it was, Kurt Morgan, Brain Farm, and him, like, that's it, that's all, Art of Flight, like, these, like, crazy cinematic things that kind of, like, took the whole world by storm and, like, went so far outside of action sports in just an unheard of way? Sure. Yeah. I mean, those films, yeah, they brought something new to action sports in, in the production quality and in, in the vision and the storytelling. Up to that point, there had been, you know, skits and stories kind of told, but the way that they put everything together looked like something that was more out of a, a Hollywood film in the way that they captured stuff. You know, one of the jokes we always have was there was a helicopter film, filming a helicopter, filming another helicopter. And there's a couple of shots in there where, yeah, there's a few, few cineflexes in the air at, at a t any given time. But they really went just over the top when it came to production and really set a new bar when it came to storytelling and snowboarding. And, and it was not only, it wasn't enough just to have the best snowboarding. It was the best of everything and, and just treating 
first the snowboard community to the highest quality stuff they could ever watch, and then also helping push the boundaries of snowboarding into the mainstream and getting people, you know, out there. I mean, I think I don't have the exact stat, but I know that it was number one on iTunes for quite some time. And, and all the films that they've put out have just absolutely crushed when it came to not only getting to the snowboard audience, but well beyond. And I think that's something that is really special. You know, they really made this aspirational film that even if you didn't care about snowboarding, there's something there for you and something cool to, to see and to experience and yeah, where they went, how they filmed it, what they did, you know, even the little interludes between the different locations, just it's something else, you know. You know, it's interesting. You th you think back to like right when Travis, I don't know, the moment I think Travis became Travis was Chad's Gap, you know, when he clears it so far in the absent film pop. And for people who don't know about this, it's like this enormous jump gap in the backcountry in Utah. And he he went so far past <laughs> past it everyone thought he might die but you think about like this theme like he is a maximizer that guy pushes so hard repeatedly and it has done so well for him like you think like red cameras and like they had to get like for the first one of those films they had to get a license from the department of defense do you, you i'm sure you know this but maybe not everybody else does about like that camera had a steering system that's from the inside of missiles <laughs> to be able to stay steady on a helicopter <laughs> to get a license from the Department of Defense to be allowed to use their cameras. The, the movie looks like BBC's Planet Earth or something, right? That's why, like, my mom and sisters and stuff would watch that. And they didn't just shoot it in one season. Like, they did so many things that hadn't been done, and then they got this reward that other people don't get, right? Yeah, I mean, thinking about you know, any kind of filmmaking or any kind of content creation, you know, people are just focused on usually getting the, the, the shot, but thinking about, okay, we need to have a custom rig made by the company so that we can get this very specific shot. We're going to buy a truck and then we're going to have it retrofitted so that we can have a crane arm move with it and do this and this and this. There's just, it's a different level, right? Like to your point of maximizing not only was Travis maximizing, but Kurt, everybody that touched the film was thinking about how can I make this just crazy? How can I push this well beyond the limits of what is currently possible? And what are the ways in which I can do that? I think that's something that a lot of the people that I work with, regardless of their sport, are always looking for that extra 1%, the extra half percent. What's the one extra thing I can do to make sure that on race day or to make sure that when it's time for me to show up, I've got just that extra little edge on everyone else. And in this very specific scenario, they were looking for that from a filmmaking standpoint and from a snowboarding standpoint. But so many of the world's top athletes are on that same journey of where do I find that extra edge that's going to push me past where I thought I could go or where everyone expects me to go? Well, going back to entertainment, I mean, it feels like you guys have a culture of let's beat the last record. Let's do... Let's do something people haven't seen before. And like, this is an absolutely great recipe for entertainment, novelty. Take something awesome and make it just a little more awesome than anybody's ever seen. Like, this is a great recipe, you know? I mean, I think that applies all the way across the board. It's not just action sports either. You know, there have been some really like blown out examples of that. Like Rob Geerdick did that one episode where they broke, what was it? Like 10 Guinness, Guinness World Records in one episode or whatever, right? Like 
I think you can go a little bit too far on it as well, but I think it's, yeah, it's, I think what you're really after there is just the aspirational element of it, like being the best, being on a whole different level, like everyone identifies with that. And that's why we get excited about these things is that it's aspirational because it's something we've never seen or something we never imagined. It's, it's pushing past the limits, you know, and, and how to be aspirational is, I feel like everybody's kind of thinking about that. Well, I'm interested. I mean, you were already a pro athlete before getting into this. I'm interested mm-hmm. what you feel like are some of the the lessons that you've learned from these athletes you've been managing and helping. I think number one, and, and we did touch on this a, a fair bit, but I think that having your own platform and not relying on, you know, in this case, the brands that are working with you to do all the heavy lifting for you, to create your own platform where you can speak directly to your fans and not just being reliant on, you know, what if the sponsor goes away tomorrow, they were talking to my fans for me, you know? And so how do I, how do I build something out that, you know, is it a podcast? Is it a Instagram account? Is it a YouTube channel? Like what are the ways in which the athletes are building up and, and sharing their story? I think is really interesting absolutely pushing past their limits and how do they push their, their limits? One of the other things is, is recovery. So one of my athletes says recovery is a workout. And so they think about not just doing the hard work as their workouts, but also recovering is part of the workout and you can't go harder unless you do that recovery workout, you know? And of course there's things like active recovery, which is like still doing athletic activity, but not as, Hard, but also I think they really take that that downtime seriously, which is something that I think is like a working professional is an area where we all kind of could do better, you know. And and of course there's you know all the all the meditation apps and all you know the different things, you know, our our sleep trackers. I've got an aura ring here, <laughs> you know, like all the can, different can, things. For we, people who don't know about that ring, can you tell them about it? Oh sure. So the aura ring is. It's just like a regular ring that you would wear, but it's got um, trackers inside of it. So it tracks your sleep, your activity, what your heart rate's doing. And then there's an app that it syncs to where it can tell you like, hey, maybe take today off or, hey, you can go a little bit harder today because you slept really well last night. It just gives you a bit of insight into what your body is actually doing. And after a while of having it on, you get a pretty good sense of you know, oh, you know what, I bet I, I bet I didn't sleep that well last night, or I, I feel like I probably should take today easy, or, you know, you, it helps kind of train your, your mind to sync with your body a bit better, I guess, is maybe the best way I could phrase it. But uh, the aura ring for me has been a, a game changer on like how I think about everything I'm doing, whether it comes to sleep, athletic activity, and, and just how they all fit together. This whole thing is is one puzzle, not a bunch of different categories, right? But I think like all of us, we just need to take the the recovery side more serious than just like, oh, okay, I'm just gonna sit on the couch and watch TV for an hour, or I'm just gonna unplug or whatever. Like really thinking about that kind of stuff, whether it comes down to reading, whether it comes to actually recovering, getting outside for a walk or whatever, like we miss that part because we're just hustling so hard all the time. And it's really hard to do. and taking a page out of my athlete's book and and making it a priority is something that substantially impacted my life. And I think a lot of people could probably learn the most from something like that because we're all trying to get after it. We're all aspiring to be that next thing. And we can take inspiration from the athletes that are doing that. 
but we see that part. You don't typically see an athlete recovering. Like it's not a common thing that you're, you know, you're not looking for an action clip of somebody recovering. And, and so you, you only see, you know, like we were talking about earlier, you only see the hits, all the best stuff that they do. You don't see what they're doing in the background as an example. And I think that's something that could change, you know, like to see how do these people actually recover? How do they take this serious? How seriously do they take it? You know, do they take a whole day out to do this typically in a week and watching the different elements that go in there? They're pretty impressive. So I think it's a, probably one of the best things I've learned from them. You know, right along those lines, I'm interested in your advice as a runner. My Two of my teenagers are running their first half marathon. They're doing a, a Spartan Beast. Okay. And I'm interested for you about the mental game of running 50 mile races. What's that like for you? I think a lot of it has to do with confidence. So of course you have to do a fair bit of training to be able to run a 50 miler, but the farthest I've run before a 50 mile race in one shot was like 26 miles. And the confidence is what got me that extra 24 miles. It wasn't that I'd trained up to 50 miles where I'd run, you know, 48 miles or whatever the week before. And I needed just to go a little bit further. It was the confidence in what I had done to prepare myself to get to that point and what I was going to do on the day of the race to keep everything moving forward. And so for me, the confidence came from mastering nutrition. So understanding what am I drinking and what am I eating? And in my mind, I believe that I could run almost indefinitely if I could do nutrition properly. So it's not even so much a matter of being so tired or whatever. It's like, if you can put the right things in along the way, you can just keep going. And once you kind of break through that barrier in your head of like, oh, wow, I, I don't like fall over at mile 26, you know, point two, I can just keep going. That's a really interesting to, to just break through as far as a barrier goes. One of the things that I suggested to one of my friends in the ultra running community was to go to a marathon and set a little table up a tenth of a mile past the finish line. Because an ultra, if you're an ultra runner, it means that you've run farther than a marathon distance. And so technically, 26.3 miles would be ultra marathon. So imagine if you crossed the finish line of a marathon and there was a table a tenth of a mile away, which you could just see, you know, it's a block up or whatever, with another medal that just says ultra runner. You know, like, oh, I'm an ultra runner and I just ran the extra whatever. I always thought that was kind of an interesting way to think about breaking through a barrier because it's not that much further. Of course, like there aren't a lot of 26.3 mile ultras out there, but it's just a matter of that confidence of knowing that I can run that far and knowing what I need to do to be able to run that far and just believing that if I just continue doing the right things, I'll be able to do it. No problem. Can you give us some examples of what that nutrition looked like for you? Sure. So for me, before I run an ultra, I usually have a Red Bull 45 minutes before the race starts because caffeine actually takes a bit to kick in. Then I put just a little bit of food in my stomach. So I'll have a banana and then a chocolate picky bar. It's actually Jesse Thomas is like a well-known Ironman athlete. That's his company that actually just got acquired by Laird. But I have just enough in my stomach, so I'm not bogged down, but there's something in there to kind of pull from. And then every 45 minutes after the race starts, I'll do some kind of gel packet or, or gummy plus two salt tabs. And then I'm drinking an electrolyte mix along the way, just whenever I need it. You need to stay ahead of your 
your your electrolytes and 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 your hydration as you're running. And you can if you miss that, if you get behind it, it doesn't. You can't like you can't reel that one back in. So just drinking as much, you know, one of the phrases in ultra running is just sip, sip, sip. You got to just keep like having a little sip every now and then. And then in a race scenario, like we, you can have people crew you along the way who provide stuff for you. So I would usually have a Red Bull, you know, so I'm drinking this electrolyte fluid. I'm, I'm refilling at all the aid stations because that's typically what they have. And then, yeah, every like about half marathon distance every like 12 to 15 miles. Ideally, I'd love to have an extra little bit of caffeine. So like a Red Bull would be perfect for me at those places. I was running uh, a 50 mile race in San Francisco. I guess it was November of 2019. And I had one of my friends at the marathon mark with a Red Bull and he, he handed it to me and I took a sip and I was like, you ever have that feeling where the, the lights flip back on? <laughs> like, that's what's happening right now. <laughs> and, you know, like I had been working at Red Bull for a, a really long time before I started running ultra marathons and drank, you know, Red Bull every day. And, and it, I had one at, I think it was my second ultra marathon. There was one at like, like the 28 mile mark. And I experienced like a whole new level of what Red Bull could do for you at that point. Cause I was so, <laughs> so deep in the hole at that point, you know? But uh, that's pretty much it though. Like you, you keep, you know, you stay on top of your hydration, you keep your nutrition going and some caffeine along the way. And, you know, I mean, that's why, you know, I work with ultra marathon athletes because they're utilizing our product on a really regular basis. There are many, many clips of Dylan just smashing Red Bulls as he races and winning races left and right. And, and I think ultra marathons are such an incredible, you know, there's so many stories that apply to everything else we do. You know, Dylan had this race in, Japan where he was in second place all day for the it was a hundred mile race and he passed the the leader in the last 5k of the race you know imagine being in a long race like that and how that applies to like everything else we do right of that constant grind or whatever and at the last minute I mean literally you know 16 hour race in the last 20 minutes he won the race like but he was in second place for you know 15 hours or whatever. It's pretty wild to think about that and how that kind of applies and, and how he continued to persevere. And, you know, if you talk to him afterwards, he wasn't trying to win the race. He was just trying to run his course. You know, he was just running the pace that he was running. He was staying consistent with the things that he knew how to do. And it just, in the end, he caught up and passed the guy in the last window. It wasn't like he felt like he was chasing someone the whole time. So it's interesting to talk to ultra runners just to get their take on how certain things go. This past weekend was actually Western states where they're running from uh, Tahoe down to Auburn, California. Just the stories that come out of it are just so applicable to the rest of our lives. It's, it's interesting to me that ultra running is as niche of a sport as it actually is because it just applies to so many life lessons. And I don't know. I'm super into it. Yeah. Did you read the Goggins book? Can't hurt me. I have not read that one, but uh, there are a handful of other great ultra books out there too. Scott Jurek's book, Rich Roll's book, there's a ton of good content out there. There's a Born to Run is kind of like the main ultra running book that everyone reads. Uh, it's a, a guy who goes and runs with the Tarahumara tribe down in Mexico. And it's just a tribe of people who just run like crazy far every day. And what he learns and he starts a race. He starts bringing people from the tribe to like these American races and they blow everybody out and they run in like flip-flops basically. It's an incredible book. It's 
it's one of the, it was, that was the book that really got me hooked on ultra running. And you finish that book and you want to just run through a brick wall. Okay. I've read that guy's other book about the world war two guys in Crete. Now it makes me want to go back and read that one. Yeah. Born to run is incredible. Interesting. The other one's called natural born heroes. It's, it's, it's so good that now you saying that makes me want to go read that one. I haven't read that one. So this is like a book exchange. Yeah. all about this. <laughs> <laughs> this is all of me and Chad's text. That's all our texts are. Okay. Well, one of my favorite questions to ask is what's one of the best pieces of advice you ever, you ever received? You know, what's funny for me is I was at my, my grandparents' house when I was really young and they had the, the extra large print reader's digest kind of sitting all over the house. And I'm not sure who actually said the, this quote, but, you know, there, there was a section in Reader's Digest called Quoted Quotables or something like that. And I would always flip to whatever Reader's Digest they had that month. I would always go and look at that. Just, I don't know why. And the one this particular time was, if opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. And that has inspired me since, you know, being an eight-year-old kid at, my grandparents' house for the summer or whatever. And something that I've shared with a lot of my athletes, you know, when it comes back to starting your own platform and stuff like that, it was the same thing. Like no one else is going to do this work for you. You got to like make it happen. You got to build it up. You got to put the effort in and really make this thing go. And I think that was something that kind of just came from the universe, you know, to, to me. So I'll love go it. with that. I love it. I really love it. I wrote it down. Like put it on my wall or something. <laughs> hey, listen, thanks for doing this. And uh, we're going to have to have you back on like next year. Just tell us what you've been up to. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me. Bye, everyone.